too dark for you to lose. Things too dark for you to lose. Welcome to This Is Your Afterlife, conversations with artists and activists about death and life. I'm Dave Marr. I'm a comedian who lives in Chicago. I survived a month-long coma eight and a half years ago, and I woke up quit and I woke up with questions. That's what happens when you try to script the show, you try to make the intros tight and punchy, and you end up just smashing syllables together like they're nothing. That's that's welcome to the show, is what I'm trying to say. Uh, I talked to Molly Brennan on this episode. She is a kind of physical theater clown, working actor, DIY person extraordinaire, someone who I've been aware of for many years, but our paths have not really crossed until on social media. She has been speaking the truths I feel about COVID-19 and the precautions necessary to perform safely and the abandonment and isolation that one feels when one prioritizes these things and i have really appreciated that and i have i've you know spoken about my feelings about this stuff in the past and you hear us talk about it in this uh in this episode so i don't know i i, I feel the need a little bit the the new show i'm working on is a is a covid show the the new live show that i'll be performing soon hopefully more details to come but i do know it's called here to make friends and there is a heavy survivor television reality show theme as well as a covid theme and so i've been thinking very deeply about these issues and i don't want know why i feel the need to to say this but i do so i'm just going to say it if you don't fuck with these uh this this these ideas about covid you know my 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 shit has not changed in 3 years um i i have not relaxed if anything i'm no longer ever wearing surgical masks i'm always making sure to wear a kn95 stuff like that so you know i'm not the absolute most cautious person there ever was but Definitely, um, you know, I, I take precautions and, uh, part of that is, is feeling isolated and, and attacked for that. Even if you're only sort of observing something online and then turning that into a voice that's directly addressed to you, which is obviously what we all do with things online and is not actually happening. But, uh, I just, I just want to let you know, you could just, just stop listening to the show. If if you don't fuck with that, it's really okay. This show is not, we're not at Olivia Rodrigo levels of popularity. So might as well just keep the people who I really want to build with close, you know? If you know other people who are feeling isolated in that way, tell them to come listen to the show. Um, I'm just, I got to be honest, I'm, I'm in a bit of a a discouraged mood. Uh, lost a job today and my, my main day job and 
it's uh it's it's just frustrating man i uh it was it was not doing this stuff it was not editing audio it was not booking guests it was not hosting anything it was not putting the communication and creative skills that i have developed over 20 years of doing this stuff into practice i mean i guess there are a little bit of communication skills in the most broad sense it was kind of a marketing thing but uh man i mean i know so many people feel this way and i'm not entitled to it I, certainly i've i've had the idea that i am owed anything been disenfranchised from that belief quite heavily over the past you know three, 10, 20 years. But I do want to say that it's, it's, it's fucking frustrating, man. It's frustrating to have a bunch of skills that you feel like are valuable in the world that you feel like offer something. And then because you're not making a living from it, because you're not seeing, you know, the quantifiable results from a thing that, that, Maybe you're delusional. Maybe the shit's not valuable. Um, that's horrible. It's really, really fucking frustrating. Uh, and I, I sure would love to just do this stuff that I already spend so much time on. Just have it be a job. Wouldn't, wouldn't that be nice? Is that, is it unreasonable? Do we all need to be woodworkers carving bows for, the post-apocalypse is that is that the level of necessity we're at i see all these other unnecessary jobs all the time you know what i'm saying you you have the same thoughts and and i i don't mean to just completely navel gaze maybe navel grays you know yeah so that's i i just want to say i'm in a bit of a honestly less thorny more kind of sighing, throwing up the hands mood. Uh, and I hope by being honest about that, that, that do I, do I hope it helps you? I, I guess I hope it helps you. It help it helps me to share that. And so thank you for listening to that is, is really what I'm saying. Um, I, I do hope that it creates a, an intimacy between you and I, the listeners of this show, because that is truly what I want. And I am about to make a pivot to a Patreon pitch. So I'm going to give you a heads up on that. But what I have said is sincere. And the Patreon pitch is thus sincere. Uh, if you're looking for a more intimate experience of the show, I release the full conversations I have with guests, mostly unedited. And more, you hear the transitions, you hear the sort of getting to know you talk up top, occasionally sections that aren't part of the main feed, you hear those. Um, and you can join the Patreon for just five bucks a month. You can really go over the top and be a Pigeon Level subscriber for 15 bucks a month. And those people are Fred Fidoa, Susie Carroll, Katie Llewellyn, John Lee, Shuba Singh, and Debo. Thank all of them very much. But even for five bucks a month, you get all of the bonus audio that I release, including uh, movie watching, podcasts, after shows, 
and anything else I might come up with in this spirit of unemployment, who knows? So you can go to patreon.com slash Dave Marr, or you can review the show. You know, I, I hate to, to twist it all into, uh, it's, you know, this stuff happens to people. I'll be fine. But if you feel like saying a nice thing, I sure would love to read a nice review. Uh, but really, if you share the show with people, um, and to know that the show is out there and to know that people are connecting with these things, that's how I felt about Molly. Her, the, the way she talks about her artistic practice and doing it in this pandemic really resonates with me. And it means so much just to be in conversation with her literally and now in an extended sort of symbolic way um, as she addresses these things and as she talks about these things um, in this very honest, sincere way. So I hope you get something out of this conversation and yeah, let's, let's have you hear it. Here's Molly Brennan. I grab your whip and take it back to Shatown. When I'm in Shatown, I treat it like it's paint your hell. All right, imagine. Okay, and I know this because I did listen. I, I I have listened to a couple of your oh, podcasts. Oh, cool. I, I was like, don't try to be too clever, Brennan. Like, try to you know what I it's mean. It's okay. Like, I you can be clever. It. I will. I will work my. I have I have like moves to get around cleverness, so you can try. Very good. Ah, great, great. Keep me on my toes. I love it. Um, so imagine like a world where people with the most wealth and power seal themselves into a tin can and go into the ocean uh-huh. to go look at a craft that was supposed to be invincible and smashed into an iceberg and a bunch of rich people and a whole bunch of poor people died and some rich people lived. Um, And then they died. And then everybody told me I was supposed to feel bad for them. That we're in it. Like that's one example. I'm like, we are in hell now. And I think for me, the hell like to, you know, metaphors aside, hell is knowing how to fix it. And not fucking doing it. Mm-hmm. Knowing, having the resources to house people and not doing it. Knowing that if you, if people as a group wear masks indoors, you will cut down on COVID 19 and all kinds of other contagions. Knowing these things. Knowing how to keep the costs down on insulin and not doing it. You know, like we, this is my hell. We are in it. We have the solutions and they're behind a paywall. And people are suffering literally for no reason, except for power and and rich people. So this is it. And I I don't think it gets worse than this. I mean, my own own personal suffering. Yes. My own personal suffering can definitely get worse, mm-hmm. but I feel like if there are, you know, the, the, the levels of hell, like we're already on one of those planes, yeah, you know, yeah. and it's just going to get worse, but we're like on the fucking way for sure. Totally. I think the, the thing that gets me about the submersible stuff is the, the, um, the very targeted 
deployment of empathy of like, you know, of, of empathy that it's like, oh, you know, these right wingers just have underdeveloped empathy, you know, like if we can just love them into, it's this very like sort of Christian, like kind of positive Christian impulse distorted into something really dangerous of like, if we just have enough empathy for them, we'll, we'll, we'll save the world, you know? And I, and, and it even drives me to think about like, okay, the people who do have those solutions, do they know they have those solutions? Do they know that shit would work? Because their reasons for not doing it are always, oh, well, you don't understand how the market works and blah, 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 blah. And you're like, but couldn't you try? Couldn't we just see? Like, if it, if you house all the homeless people and, and it caves the market, like, we can figure out what to do then. But maybe we could just – I didn't think I could get a check sent to me direct to my bank account from the government. It turns out it's pretty easy, actually. You know? Yeah. I mean, we employ it at our level, too. I think it's – you know what I mean? That tendency – of uh, that cynical tendency, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, of you know, I know it's actually going to make a difference to my friend that I'm going to help unload her truck on Monday, uh, so she doesn't have to pay someone to do it because she's not doing great financial and she needed needed to move, right? I could say, well, I'm not going to be able to help her with her everything because. You know, I don't have the time and the money, but I have Monday off and I'm going to help her move. And that's going to be however much it would make a difference to hire movers. Right. Right. So like, so that's my, that's like a little, that's like my little contribution where I can say, well, I don't know if I can, you know, bankroll my friend for a year, which is maybe what she actually needs, Mm -hmm. but I can help this a little bit and know that there's going to be an impact. 200, like a quarter of a million dollars. You don't know. Like, I don't know the difference between literally this morning deciding to buy $50 worth of masks instead of buying another pair of sneakers, which is actually what I wanted to do. I'm not trying to sound like a martyr. I'm trying, I'm just saying, yeah, we actually, we do it too. It's trickle down shittery from the, from mm-hmm. the rich. And of course, they have, very much more money and power and make bigger, bigger Im- impact. But there's a cultural tendency to be like, if you can't do everything, don't do anything. And that empathy thing you're talking about, you know who Devin Price is, Dr. Devin Price. He's um, a Chicago personality and, and wrote a couple books. And okay. he speaks really in a, a really interesting way about empathy because he is autistic and says he does not experience empathy but he can practice compassion. And that, so this idea of like getting into people's, like you were saying, like, if I just put out enough empathy, they will feel empathy isn't actually a practicable thing. But practicing compassion, which means like having a set of actions based around relieving suffering or making things better for others, that that you can actually do. I There are things I do that are compassionate for people that I do not give a shit about or don't mm-hmm. like yeah. those billionaires are killing all of us. <clears throat> and, and I, I do not have children. I don't think you have children. I don't know. Yeah. Like I, 
I especially feel for people who have children because right. I'm like, what is going to be here? What soil, what water, what air is going to be here for these children? These people will absolutely kill your children for like without a doubt. And so like the, again, for me, the practice has to be like, you cannot waste an ounce of care around these motherfuckers. What do you hope happens when you die? Oh, what do I hope? Mm -hmm. What do I hope happens? Yeah. Um, I hope that I'm not afraid and in a lot of pain when I'm dying. I hope it's quick. I hope it's over quickly. I fear it won't be. I have a lot of thoughts of having my fingernails pulled out and my teeth pulled out and being told, like, asked for information. Okay. I, I very much think about, like, I might be that person that's going to be tortured to death in the, you know, gulags or whatever is going to happen. So <laughs> I'm trying to keep it light, Dave. Hey, I but, like it. Yeah. Yeah. But so, like, I'm like, fucking heart attack in mm -hmm. bed, be amazing. I don't know how likely that is, but <laughs> love to just die suddenly and without a lot of like fear of not of the death, but of the, the pain, the um, torture, mm -hmm. whatever that looks like. It could also look like 20 years in a assisted living facility. Sure. Um, it could also be that a, a kind of torture. So, so I hope that my last living moments are not full of fear and pain. I would like that. And I, and at, like, what would I like to have after that? I, I haven't thought to ask myself what I would like. I don't, I don't have uh, much of a deep belief in, in afterlife. So I am like, I don't know, not have, if, if my consciousness or spirit or whatever moves on, not have it be worse than this would be nice. Okay. Have it be better than, than what this is would be good, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, you know, it like, like have it be like a DMT trip or like, you know, like aliens. I don't know. Or like all the, here's all the secrets to the universe. Here's the shit about the dinosaurs that you would really like to know. Uh -huh. Like that'd be cool. Like some kind of knowledge important. Would be have good. you done the DMT thing? I haven't, but I'm, I feel like I've been gearing up for 30 years for it. <laughs> okay. I've read so much about it and I'm like, mm -hmm. not yet, but at some point. It's, what, it's I like want, the purple lady some... that everyone sees. Yeah. There's like, and the, the, like, there's like the floating heads and yeah, there's like common, the controllers Isn't that what, uh, what's, uh, oh my God, I've forgotten his name. The like super classic, uh, dude from the 60s that oh, did all the research. tune in drop out fucking yeah 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 that guy why am i so, yeah sorry i did that <laughs> i cursed us with like <laughs> that guy's name we'll turn this on and be like that guy but yeah hit him oh you have the internet at your finger i am timothy leary there we go timothy leary yeah, yeah yeah so like the controllers or whatever he talks about okay um so do does not having that freak you out like a lack of consciousness at the end no. no did you grow up with any of that stuff i grew up in a pretty atheist situation oh um, okay so uh yeah 
Did yeah. you have to learn that as a kid? Like, was there a point when, like, do you remember any conversations with your parents that were like, what happens? And like an eight-year-old freak out or anything like that? Or it just was mm-hmm. always so taken for granted? I I remember being little and learning that my mother would die someday. And that that was really sad for me. Um, I remember learning about heaven from a kid at school and asking my dad about it. And I said, what is this? And he said, oh, well, there are people who believe that after we die, we go to a place that's really great and is like where you're happy all the time. And I was like, oh, Grammy's house. Awesome. And I actually, as a, as a child, would have dreams of being dead at my grandmother's house at Thanksgiving. And like wow. everybody was there because it was like a great place to be. And like, so there was that. My mother grew up with some religion, uh, Catholic and then Episcopal. Um, and uh, like, but didn't, didn't practice in her life and was largely like agnostic to atheist. But when I was little, uh, I became interested in going to church because other kids were going. So I wanted to go Mm. and my other grandparents. So not the ones, not the ones where heaven was, but the other grandparents, they went to church every Sunday, my mother's parents. So I started going <clears throat> with them I, and I was really into it at like nine, 10 years old. Um, and it was the uh, Episcopal church. So it's similar to Catholicism. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no confirmation. There's uh, baptism and right. um, uh, communion and there, but there's, there, you don't do a confirmation. And, um, and I, they had Sunday school offering, but I liked to go to the regular mass. They, were, they don't call it mass, but the regular yeah, service. Yeah, yeah. And, and like, like being on, you know, on the kneeler and like, like trying to feel it and be with God and like sing the droning, <laughs> dirgy songs and like d- the Lord's prayer and like, you know, like just really trying to get into it. Um, and then then th- there's a lot of functions, you know, around. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, the talking about going to heaven and what you had to do and all that kind of stuff. And and there are lots, you know, lots of like luncheons and stuff after. And I overheard two of the ladies that did a lot of the organizing of everything. And they were making fun of another woman, what she had worn to church. And immediately I was done. I was like, oh, this isn't real. Wow. That's not, th- th- none of this is real. All right. This is why my parents aren't here. <laughs> just just because that was so opposite the ethos of like love one another, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Imagine those women finding out that they were responsible in some small way for your turning your back on the faith. I mean, they're Trump supporters now, you know. Oh, you know exactly who they are? Oh, yeah. I grew up oh, in a very God. small town. In- okay. Yeah. Okay. So they're been- fine with that. They're they're like, well. Oh, I should, you know, like, yeah, I'm going to hell for all the reasons. 
Sure. So many reasons. <laughs> Have you thought about funeral planning? Yeah. Okay. Again, if there's a body, mm-hmm. if it has, if my body hasn't been like secretly incinerated or whatever, or in a ditch with like hundreds of other bodies. This is so wild. I haven't, I haven't talked to anyone who was so certain that, that like the gulags was the way they were going to go. <laughs> it sucks too. Gulag's like a, a communist thing, but you know. Sure. Right, I'm, right, right. I'm gay and an anarchist and eventually the communists turn against us. Uh, sure. Historically. So <laughs> yeah. it's like, I'll be fighting alongside the Marxists. And then they're like, wait a minute. You're an anarchist, right? Mm. We believe in some hierarchy, so you you're gonna need to re-education yeah. for you, ma'am. <laughs> right, right. I start. So I actually started fantasizing about my funeral uh, around 2008, um, and I actually made a show uh, with some people called the life and death of Madam Barker. Okay. And it was, it was not, you know, Madam Barker was the character, but it was based on this idea of like, you know, what uh, it started with the idea of like what I wanted my funeral to be like. Um, so I have like a definite soundtrack. There are three songs I definitely would want played. Okay. Uh, Tom Waits. I don't want to grow up. Nick cave and the bad seeds lay me low. And Chris Christopherson's Black and Blue, which is a song he wrote at at the death of Janis Joplin. Mm. So those three tunes would love to have played live by somebody um, that I like. Um, I, I would like someone who loves me and knows me well um so this would be like if i died like now you know what i mean like sure but you know in the next you know couple years like my friend my 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 best friend one of my best friends mitchell fain i would love to for him to like have a running list of the people who are who would be so full of shit about like oh i loved molly when they did not (laughs) like just that he would be like no nope you you can't say that (laughs) <laughs> what are the reasons that people don't love you? Like what what is what is oh. the nature of the insincerity there? Well, when I say that I actually mean that like active love and active care. Yeah. Um so, you know, I'm a theater maker and and uh and I haven't been uh not just because of the like kind of material reality of the pandemic but also because of my deep despair around that and my grave disappointment with my field in all of its, you know, DEI promises and not coming through. I mean, I was already like mad at institutions before all of this, but then I got real time to think about it. (laughs) Like I wasn't having a, you know, I, I, I didn't have any work. So I had time to be like, wait a minute. Um, But I was already, you know, on the train of like, things should look differently than they look. Um, And I have, uh, I got to tell you, I I feel super abandoned by my community. Um, 
things like, you know, I've, I've said no to a lot of projects because even when there were projects I said no to that even when like air filtration, masking and testing was still a cool thing to do, um, people weren't doing it. And so there were, there were projects that I said no to stepped away from, uh, because I was like, I'm not engaging like that without like the bare minimum of like, like that, the equity minimums of, of how masking and stuff worked. Right. Um, and you know, the number of people who have been, you know, or, or other kinds of institutional shit where like some horrible, egregious thing happens, right. usually based around race. And people are like, come do this thing. And I'm like, have you talked to the management of this organization and like how they're handling this? And they're like, well, I can't really do anything about that. And I'm like, well, then I'm not doing it. I'm not, right. I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not pretending that we don't have any power. So I felt very abandoned, especially by people with whom I have stood over the years when they have been targeted, left behind, you know, whatever. And, and, uh, and I'm, you know, the bitterness I'm, <laughs> I'm sure you're hearing is quite real and, and I'm tr trying to figure out how to navigate it. Dude. No, I mean, I really appreciate it. It's stuff that I'm like writing through at the moment, like literally this exact feeling so i i you you know you only sound bitter in the way that i feel bitter and um it feels like an unavoidable way at the moment i i, I do feel like um a, you know a tinfoil hat person sometimes but it's not mm -hmm. actually because i think i am right it's because i it's because other people have have given up on the principles that they were they were spouting off two years ago or even a year ago or maybe even six months ago, you know? Um, and I'm like, wait, but it hasn't changed. Right. Like community care principles haven't changed the way. And, and, you know, the, the way that viral transmission works and how masking works and how ventilation works None of this has changed. The science is the same. So why aren't you doing it? The numbers are down. Are they? Right. Like, we don't know, actually, anymore. Like, I, I scour the different, like, wastewater things. But it's, right. none of it is complete. I'm not sure how, how into this you are. But, like, it, none of the information is complete because there are no more requirements. And it just requires you, it, it, it takes so many resources of t time to become what I'm supposed to know the difference, know what study is trustworthy and what study is not. Give Jesus Christ. Like I, I didn't go into comedy to become an expert on fucking wastewater studies. You know what I mean? And I mean, I imagine there's a wealth of, of, material in oh uh, yeah oh. right just the funniest <laughs> stuff yeah but okay let's get back to your funeral because i feel like you have other thoughts yeah, there that yeah, i want to yeah. make sure to mind yeah. so there's that so there's like the shaming part of it yes 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 like. yes um i would like to be cremated um and probably buried in like my family's 
little area in New Hampshire. Um, my, again, this is if it's, if it's soon, because my dad is actually in charge of a lot of that stuff. And, you know, he's, I mean, I, he's probably going to die before I am. So, sure. you know, I don't know if I'm going to get the treatment that he gives. Okay. Um, okay. But he makes these little ash boxes. Um, and there's a, at the family plot, there's like a little stand that the box sits on. And there's, you know, pretty like uh, non-religious. Uh, this was this person. Anybody want to say anything? Uh, there's also, I have a Quaker line in my family mm, coming okay. in from my dad's side a little bit back. So there's like, there's a little bit of that still culturally of like, you know, there might be someone standing up here, but he's not really in charge, you know, like sure, totally. we're all, you know, we're all here. And if a the anarchist thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's the, yeah, it's a bit anti-authoritarian. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but he's just a skilled orator, my father. So he's quite good at, at you know, speaking in these. Anyway, so like I picture that, I picture outside, I picture nice weather. Uh, I picture people that I love, like taking the moment to be like, oh shit, we're not here forever. What am I going to do uh, with this time? I would like to charge you with the task of reliving one memory. Uh, this, this show comes from my second one man show, which was set in the afterlife in which I say that in the afterlife, everyone gets to fully relive one memory. Um, and you have to choose one. You're, you know, talk about embodiment. You're fully re embodied back in this memory. Um, but the rest of your memories aren't wiped. It's not like a, it's not a dire situation. You don't have to sum up your whole life, but if you had to choose just one, what would you choose? It might be with my sister. Um, so I have a younger sister who's, who's three years younger than, than I. And the summer before I moved to Chicago, I moved back in with my parents so that I could work, uh, doing crop work, uh, at a strawberry farm uh, in like the early mornings to the afternoon and then being a pizza chef in the afternoon until night um, to just get money to mm -hmm. come out here. You know, this is in 93. Uh, so, and my sister was in college and she was, she'd also moved back in with my folks uh, for the summer and was doing these same jobs. And uh, we, thought it was going to be like the most was like well this is going to suck we're just going to work our asses off we actually like made friends with people we didn't know and had a very working also very party summer so it's yeah the, that's the that's where we are she had a um a rabbit a volkswagen rabbit convertible um and we were driving in a town in New Hampshire called Hopkinton and New Hampshire is quite hilly. It was a summer uh, evening. Uh, we had done our crop work and we actually did not have a shift at the pizza kitchen that night. Um, and we were driving to see some friends, uh, 
sun was setting. We're in her car on this, like, a, a lot of the roads in New Hampshire are like this low, or in the little towns like where I grew up, this low grade um, uh, pavement mm. that is not the blacktop that you see on most roads. It's almost more like a sidewalk, like sure, the, sure, sure. The cheaper and more resilient because of the way the ground buckles and everything like that with the, the you know, the winters and the whatever. So. You know, so we're driving on one of those roads. We're both, we're, you know, s- safely smoking a bowl in the car. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and, um, there's, a, you know, it's hilly. We come up to the crest of the hill and it's forest. It's a lot of pine forest in New Hampshire. And, you know, farms, you can kind of see you're like coming down this hill. And um, Tom Petty's, uh, is the song called You Don't Know How It Feels? Do you know? You don't know know how it feels. I know the song. Yeah. That song is on the radio. And my sister is driving. She looks at me and she says, the song. I mean, we never will know, really, right? Like, you won't ever know what it's like to be me. I will never know what it's like. It is and called You Don't Know How It Feels. I looked it up. You Don't Know How It Feels. Okay. Yeah. So, like, there, and there was something. I can go back to that. I was 22. I can, you know, this 30 years ago. I can go back to this moment like it just happened. And it was so small in a way and so non-exciting in a way and somehow really important to me and like kind of the stupid high talk too. And Tom Petty, like, it's so like, it's so American and small and I felt so good. I felt so good. But it wasn't a moment where that distance between consciousnesses got bridged. It wasn't like she said that and you somehow did both feel like you knew how it felt to be each other. No, it was it just was a like, comment on it. And, yeah. and a like sort of, yeah, that, that, you know, freshman year stoner. Yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and perhaps part of it is the lack of profoundness that accompanies when you just don't feel suicidal, which is like something <laughs> I feel a lot. So like, I think like when, when you feel really normal, is that the right word? Like, I don't know how to describe it. Well, I, was, I I wouldn't call it a lack of profoundness. I would call it the like ultimate presence of profundity and like just this. It, it sounds very. It, it sounds like the words I associate with it are like settled, are um, stillness, um, kind of a vantage point. Like you coming up over the hill feels like part of it. Like 
feels metaphorical. You're you're surveying things emotionally while you're literally surveying them. I don't know. Does any of that ring true? Yeah, and I I I think the the beauty. I mean, it is beautiful there. You know, like it is beautiful, and we grew up there. And I remember seeing that. I I saw that view all the time. I saw it all the time. But that moment is when I think of that road in Hopkinton, New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. That's the moment I think of. It looks different now, you know. Sure. But like it looked the same for the first, you know, twenty years of my life or eighteen years of my life. Right? Looked the same. I'd seen it, but it's locked there. And so is my sister's face, to be honest, like who she, what she looked like at 18 or 19. Like that, when I think, when I think Kate, my sister, like when I picture her face, that's her face. Of course, you know, she's, you know, close to 50 now. And (laughs) her face doesn't look like that anymore. I mean, you know, she's recognizable. Mm -hmm. Um, But just like me, like we look different, you know. But there's something about that moment where I felt really good, really non-agitated, happy, uh, like I belonged, um, which are not feelings I think I feel that much. And maybe that's it, is that like I it it just felt really good just then. So my last big question here is what's your coma you uh we we talked you you understand the context for this question so beyond that the simplest way to to describe it is just any moment of transformation however epic or mundane where before you felt like one version of yourself and after you were another i have had a lot of um premonitions is the only way I can describe it where I'm standing at the precipice of a choice and I'm quite aware that this choice is going to be profound. Although similarly to the instance with my sister to describe the moment does not sound profound, Mm -hmm. but I, I know that this is, like the butterfly wing effect. Yes. Like something about this is going to uh, be important. Um, And a moment like that was actually a 500 clown moment um, where we were making, we had changed from a for-profit entity to a non-profit entity, which was a difficult, arduous, I was opposed to it (laughs) um, thing. Um, And we had been given a a large sum of money to make a new show. And I was at at the home of one of my co-creators. We were all there. And I had a moment where in my mind I could see 
uh, landscape, like a blank landscape that's just like different shades of white. Okay, like different gradients of white, of like, you know, what would be the ground and the horizon. And I couldn't see, you know, what's over the horizon, but I know we're going toward it. And I remember saying in the moment to my partners, there's something about this that's very important. And I don't know what it is. But it feels like whatever choice we make, this is going to, this is major. I could feel it or something. Like I knew like this is whatever we're doing right now is going to, the impact is going to be great. And then there's nothing. It's like the decisions are made and we go along. And then later, I was like, oh, here it is. Here it is. The 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 thing I was thinking about. Um, and it tore us apart. And, and I, I tra- trace it back to that conversation. I don't want to give too many details. Yeah. Other than to say there was a decision being made that I had a feeling about, but didn't have such a strong opinion about, right? Like I had opinions, but I wasn't like, if it doesn't go my way, I quit. I wasn't there. I was just like, wherever we go with this, this is important. And then it didn't seem like it was. It was like the decision was made, we go along. And then later another thing happens that was the end of us. And I was like, oh, this there was a direct line from here to here. Interesting. And I am I feel completely differently about this work now. And I'm done. So I'm curious the ways in which you were different. So obviously the group disbands, but who were you before and who were you after how did how did this the the disbanding or the decision that led to the disbanding how did that change you my i have um an un, an unfortunate <laughs> tendency uh toward loyalty that is really great sometimes and really destructive to me sometimes and breaking off a loyalty is really painful for me even if I know it's the right thing um and so I went from a hundred percent in to one hundred percent out that was the change the thing that I had done as my focus of like my creative, you know, just like a thing that I loved to do that brought me so many that like put me on a path that brought me so much um, creative uh, uh, and like career success and visibility and, you know, a presence in, in, people's doctorates and you know mm-hmm. the, like this kind of like the stuff that we're supposed to want like right. harking back to what you were talking about right like this thing 
that had been my life. It's like a relationship, right? Like a, like a romantic relationship. Yeah. And the switch went off and I was like, never again, no more. Wouldn't even consider it. Goodbye. And did that change your approach to loyalty? It messed me up because it's still over. The loyalty still operates in me. <laughs> and so like, but what, what it did do was give me more of a practice of thinking about things before I say yes to them. And I'm not saying I regret a single thing. I am saying oh, yeah. when things started going a certain way, I was done. Okay. So I do want to clear that up. Like, oh, I, totally. It was like, yeah, a, you know, I didn't. So, yeah. So that that's, it's just, just important for me to say that it was for sure. Like I was in full misery for 12 years of my life. No, um. no, no. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I also wonder, so you talked about, you know, before we really got started, you talked about 500 clown feeling like a band a little bit. Mm. Do, do you have any, and this is my own, some of my most corrosive inner voices willing to cut me down at any moment but do you have any feeling of the solo artist and 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 any any feelings of needing to measure up to that work of like oh this people loved the fucking beatles and now i'm george harrison or something you know oh i have fully i fully live that experience between <laughs> playing harpo marks and being in 500 clown Nothing has ever been as exciting to anybody except those two things. And when am I going to do those things again? Right, 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 right. So, yeah, like I definitely had a moment where I was doing my most popular work. I don't think I'm going back to that. I think that was it. I did it. Yeah. And now I do other kinds, you know, whatever. I've, I've been a, up until 2020. I was like a working actor. You know, like that was what I did for a living. Um, and, uh, maybe I'm going to go back to that. I'm going to show right now. I'm going to rehearsals for mm -hmm. Midsummer Night's Dream. I'm having a, actually having a blast with it. It's very it. exciting. It seems like a perfect fit. It's a perfect, it is a perfect fit. Like the return does feel, does feel quite apt. I love the director. The people in it are so great. Um, so maybe I'm going back to that. Um, but yes, absolutely. People want to know when I'm doing five. When is five hundred clock getting back? Absolutely, absolutely, still yes. And, and the thing these people have about reunions, man, this is a chip on my shoulder. Of like, <laughs> is the Simpsons movie your favorite Simpsons thing? Are the end seasons of Arrested mm. Development your favorite TV shows of all time? When do these reunions ever? Maybe some of the late Dinosaur Junior albums are kind of as good as some of the early ones. I, I don't know. Do you know what I'm saying? We measure value about, uh, around longevity or something mm -hmm. when it's like, that's not actually true. Um, I, I mean, I think we definitely do it with like romantic relationships that mm -hmm. like, if it lasts forever, it's good. And if it only lasts a year, it's not good. And it's like, no, it's just different. It doesn't have to be yeah. valued like that. And I think, you know, people love a thing, love a band or love a show or love, or like, Maybe there's an ownership. So I don't know if you've experienced this with trying to break out of the 
work that kind of spotlighted you is is that an experience you've had out of like yes i'm familiar with that feeling yeah so 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 yes so like i definitely like i don't actually have that inner voice but pe- other people have it for right me. right and i'm so like well i was lu- you know i'm lucky i was lucky to just be working as much as i was mm-hmm. i was super lucky to have something recognizable repeatable and that people wanted to pay for that i made like that that's great and like i don't know that you can expect to do that forever mm-hmm. at that level right so i'm cool with that i do get annoyed though like when people are like for because even if if you don't know like my personal thing i'm like i am 52 years old i can't my knees friend <laughs> my back i am i have arthritis in everything like i you know yeah i can't do it i couldn't even do it i could i you know i they asked me to do looking glass alice when they remounted it which i've done like 300 times the circus alice in wonderland that looking glass okay. does and i was like i i could maybe do one show a week and the rest of the week i'm in a fucking ice bath like i just I've wrecked my body doing this work again, not sorry, but can't do it anymore. I have to do a different thing. And I think the experience that is like sisters with what you're talking about in terms of my own voice and value, right? Cause that's what you mean. Like, but like, am I saying, you know, it's never going to be as good, but, but what is hard actually for me is the COVID stuff because I have witnessed my value be nothing. I have witnessed being someone that people that I had to turn a lot of stuff down over the years just because I was busy to me saying that person saying, can you do this thing? And me saying, what are your COVID protocols and being left on red? Yeah. And I'm like, ah, my diligence in trying to take an anti-eugenics stand completely removes my value as an artist in this town to most people. That is sobering as fuck and super sad and makes me want to not do it anymore in some ways, but I know I couldn't live with myself any more than I could, you know, like, I mean, I was doing disability advocacy before COVID in terms of just like, Hey, I don't really do shows unless you offer these things. Mm-hmm. Hey, I don't really do shows of wheelchair can't get in because I have friends who use a wheelchair and I don't like to do stuff that my friends can't come to. Hey, I will pay for the ASL interpretation mm-hmm. because I have deaf friends and I don't want to do a show that they can't come to. You know, so like I, 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 there's that, there's, and then other kinds of inclusivity and representation, like racial, you know, making sure that I'm not doing all white shows, which is yep. something that I you know, jumped on a long time ago. So I've always been kind of a dick about that stuff. Um, and that it did limit my access to a certain degree because of like that, me being difficult or whatever. Sure. Um, but this one is like, feels like the one that is like, has the most barriers, which is so fucking interesting to me because making your space ADA accessible is so much harder than putting on a goddamn mask. Right. Right. 
And I'm like, wow. So like one of the easier actions one can take, you don't want to do. And also it's not about me advocating just for other people. I'm also advocating for myself. So I'm advocating for myself and others. And there's something in that that feels really sad and defeating. Like when I stood for other people, people were like, yeah, Molly, thank you. And when I stand for myself included with other people, it's like, we'll get somebody else. We won't respond to this. COVID's over. Right. I respect your choices, Molly, but. Right, yeah. right, right, right. The, the thing of like, well, if that, we, you know, this is what we're doing. If that means you have to be out, totally respect that. It's like, well, no, you made the choice that for me. I didn't, I didn't make a choice. I didn't, I didn't go, oh, you know, you're telling me that I can stand outside in the rain while everyone is at the party. That's not a valid choice for me, for anyone. Um, yeah, I, I mean, what's the way forward? Is it just finding those pockets of people and, or, 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 waiting till there's a fucking cocktail of drugs that basically solves it for everyone. And then pretending we don't remember when everyone abandoned. What, what is it? I mean, I need you to solve this right now. Okay. (laughs) What we do is, yeah. Um, what, I, I mean, I think the actionable thing, is to think about how we're approaching everything. So it isn't just about like solving the COVID issue. It's about moving out of a checklist mentality. You know, those signs that people put out that are, that are yeah. fine, that are like, we like the gays. We and believe in Black science in this home. And water is water. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Like all of that, which is not bad and even can be a little mm-hmm. bit dangerous depending on where you live, right? You can be sure, like, you sure. put a target on your back, depending, you do, you do it in Chicago, mm, you do it in where, New Hampshire? Different. Okay. Like, you can be a target for just being like, I'm good with with black people. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. like that's a fucking controversial stand, right? Mm-hmm. But the, the sign is always going to leave someone off. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's always going to leave someone off when you do it that way. You know, it's like the, it's like the LGBTQIA plus, right? right. You're always going to leave someone off because you can't list people like that. It's just an endless list. So getting away from that mentality and toward an approach of who's here, who isn't here, why are people here that are here? Why are people not here that aren't here? How do we make this a place if we want to, which I want to, where everybody can come in as their selves and be not just like welcome, but centered, celebrated, whatever, right? So to try to move our minds out of out of like how to solve COVID because it's going to always be another thing. Yeah. And rather, how are we a kind, 
compassionate, community aware body that wants to make it so that everybody feels validated being somewhere. Not the Nazis. Right. I don't, am I validation? But, you you know, but, but like, how do we do this? Um, Approach and ethos versus, well, we got this, we got this, we got this. Rather than diversity, right? Mm -hmm. Diversifying a harmful system doesn't change the system. The system, what it does is it makes people with marginalized or borderland or whatever you call, you know, non-white system, able straight people right like it makes folks have to comply with shitty systems so it's about looking at that instead of just diversifying the nightmare right you know (laughs) make it a dream the thing is though i do i do want to do those things but we can't do it individually we have to do it together and we have to give some stuff up and that's super hard for us to give anything up um but i think it's worth it i don't know my girlfriend and i run a like a music venue in our backyard um and it's you know diy music venue. so cool and we're trying to employ these this ethos right of of how do we make this a place that anybody, everybody can be at, you know, and it's hard. And, uh, you know, so we, I don't know, we, our building is old. We don't have an ADA accessible building, but we've made our yard ADA accessible. We built a compost toilet that you can use if you're in a wheelchair wow. or if uh, you use any kind of mobility device. Um, it is rudimentary. It is, you know, but it's usable. Right. So what do you give up? Porcelain. Do you know? You yeah. give up porcelain, a porcelain toilet to be part of this thing. Um, you know, you're you're it's a glorified, you know, punk rock piss bucket, but it's got a, you know, it's got a seat on it. And it's like, you know, it's an outhouse. But almost anybody can use it. And we don't let anybody in we none of us use the inside toilet during the shows we're mm. all doing the same thing you know what i mean yeah. so like that and i don't uh, and i don't mean to sound you know you were, were like i don't want to sound like a savior or whatever you said but like but i don't know model what it looks like what does it look like yeah to make something for as many people and maybe we can't do it for everyone Right. But for as many people, more than are inv- invited, um, you know, how do we do that? And it's the question. It's living in the question of it um, and and being willing to be engaged with the question in it and not have someone else come up with all the answers for you. But like being invested in trying to figure it out. How do I do it? How do I be part of this? How do I in the little just personal space around me be a safer space for me. What do I need to learn? What do I need to understand? So that this space right around me is good for most people to be in. 
Well, I appreciate you coming up with all the answers for me. I think that's one way in which I would disagree with that, but I appreciate <laughs> Well, I didn't come up with them. I, do, I read a lot. No, no, no. I know. I know. We're all wastewater experts for sure. That is the show. Thank you for listening. Tell a friend who'd love the show about it. Go click on all of the links to Molly's work in the show notes. Also in the show notes are the dates that Molly is performing as Bottom in Midsummer Night's Dream. So see that outdoor Midsummer Night's Dream performance at the Oak Park Festival Theater. And go to patreon.com slash Mar for more of this show. And until next week, remember, you are a mist. Miracles. You can do them. Have faith. You are human. Only human. And human beings, they do miracles.